you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you're just joining us this weekend, we're in the midst of a series through the five solas called Together We Believe. And today we're looking at scripture alone. Each one of these subjects is an alone statement saying that it it stands alone as an important piece of our belief. And so what we're going to unpack this morning is that it is through scripture alone that God reveals our salvation and brings us into and directs us in his authority and instruction. And so this is what we see really from our text. And and these five solas were really created to summarize the reformers' basic theological principles in contrast to certain teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what came about then was a, a monk in the Catholic Church named Martin Luther, who really thought that the church had gone too far away from the original teachings of Scripture and that the church should return to its roots and give more weight to what was written in the Bible. And so in 1517, on October 31st, Martin Luther nailed a list of grievances against the Catholic Church onto the door of a chapel in Wittenberg, Germany. And his 95 thesis became the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation. Now, let, let me just remind you of something, though. If you haven't done any of that history work or, or know about the Reformation, let, let me just remind you that this series is not about elevating the Reformers themselves. We're bringing them up because of the, the way of how they, they paved the way towards uh, holding fast to healthy doctrine. But really, this series is all about looking at the truths from Scripture and the character of God that they so firmly held to. And so as we get started, one of the things that that I do every time I teach, every time I get up here on a Sunday morning, is say, hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to whatever passage we're going to that morning. And I do this for a couple reasons, and I want you to know this before we get to the text, but why we're going right to the text shortly after is that first, I, I want you to see that what we're going to learn over the next 30 minutes or so is not something I've made up. It's, it's not bringing you into, here's my opinion, here's how I think life should be, and, and God is good in the midst of that, but, but that what we are learning is from the word of, of God. And so I'm going to share with you some of my convictions in the midst of that. I'm going to share with you uh, uh, some learnings in the midst of that. But to the best of my ability, I'm going to clarify for you uh, as often as I can, here's what the word of the Lord says. Here's what, here's what I'm learning in the midst of that. So those are not the same thing. And so I always want to start where we can go right to the word, and I want us to have a certain posture towards Scripture. This is why we begin with Scripture, that we don't stand above it, we don't stand beside it, we stand beneath it. And so really, this is a type of submission that I really desire to take towards Scripture constantly, that as we gather here on a Sunday morning, that we would do so with the posture that says we are submitted to the word of God, which guides us and grows us and points us to Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. Now, I'm going to make this really brief because I thought this could be an important piece because one of the things I'm not so much going to touch on is all the translations, but I want you to understand that there's a very intentional reason I use the ESV. And there's really kind of two translations out there. One is word for word, one is thought for thought. 
And the ESV is not a, is not a new uh, translation. It's, it's older. It's been revised. And really the desire is to go right to the original manuscripts and be uh, as close to the wording as possible. And so as we use the ESV, the reason is we want to go straight to the word. I don't want to use a thought for thought, the kind of thinking around, here's what we, we think it says, but really going, this is the intention of what the author is saying. And so we've used the ESV in teaching. If you don't have a Bible, we offer ESV Bibles, and you can find those at the ends out here in the commons and in the back hallway. And so that's kind of why we use the, the ESV. And also, um, I put it on the screen behind me, because if you don't bring a Bible, it's not a guilt trip. I want you to have scripture in front of you. And so whether you didn't bring one because you don't have one, then we have a gift for you of one. Um, If you didn't bring yours today and and you don't have it in front of you, it's on the screen behind me so that we can see as we begin that we begin with the word of God. Amen? All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Inconim and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go, out, go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning as we go to unpack this text and, and look at scripture alone. Father, I pray that, that you would humble us, that, Father, we would, we would have a, a new love for your word, that, Father, it would not be a book that we dust off from time to time to get perspective, um, but, Father, we would, we would be submitted to it. That God, even, even in our wrestling, as, as some of us do, that we would wrestle with you in it. God, we thank you for who you are, how you are at work in your word. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. So as we, as we read through our, our text, what we learn is that, that Paul is passionate about Scripture in fact, what he does in instructing Timothy later in chapter 4 is to continue to preach the word. After that text that we just read, he, he goes on, listen, continue to preach that word and remember Paul's, remember Paul's context. Remember, context is really important in regards to scripture. Paul is not in his, his million-dollar mansion. He's not preaching to a megachurch. He's on death row. He's in prison And he's reminding Timothy, listen, regardless of what happens to us, Scripture is important, and this is what we're passionate about. God's brought us through all of these things that we would be passionate about his word and preach his word. And so let me ask you this. Is this our passion? Is this our position? I mean, do we we even know what it is we have in our hands? Are we even aware? 
Because for centuries, I think what we kind of miss out on in American culture is, is the fact that we freely gather like this this morning without fear. We gather, we read the word, we study the word, we, we grow in the word, but without fear. And, and for centuries, it was illegal to have an English Bible. All they had was the Latin translation from the fourth century. And, and really, that was a difficult translation, and, and, and a lot of commoners could not read it. They, they didn't understand Latin, and they, they did not have it accessible to them. As I shared last week, it was the, the Bible was almost under lock and key by the church. And so really, the church didn't want commoners reading the Bible. They didn't want anyone just reading. And they said that the Bible was really an obscure book. It wasn't, it wasn't plain. It wasn't clearly understandable. And only the Pope and certain teaching officials in the church could understand and interpret the Bible. And so, in fact, the church was so threatened by the idea of people actual, actually reading the Bible themselves that they decreed that anyone found in possession of an English Bible would be burned at the stake. And, and so just think about this for a moment. For those who had scripture at hand where they could read it freely like we do, the, the, the penalty for doing so was death. And, and not like a, we're, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, just kind of make it go quick and, and, and you're going to go sleepy time to heaven. This is like burn at the stake. You're going to feel everything, that kind of fear when they chose to read scripture. And, and so let me give you some examples of what happened through this, that in 1517, seven parents were burned alive for teaching their children the Lord's Prayer in English. Merely the, the, to possess the Lord's Prayer in English was a capital offense. You were not allowed to have this at your possession. And then, and then earlier, in 1380s, John Wycliffe, and, and he's kind of sometimes called the, the morning star of the Reformation, he translated the Bible out of the Latin translation, and he had handwritten copies that were distributed and became incredibly popular for all commoners to be able to read. And so a follower of Wycliffe's called uh, John Huss started preaching with this English translation. He began to spread the gospel news. And armed with this understandable translation, he began opposing the church and its teachings. And and so later then he was captured and he was burned at the stake in, in 1415. And the Wycliffe Bibles were used as kindling. So you can imagine the intensity of of the use of scripture here, that the church was beginning to be threatened, not encouraged that the gospel would be spread, but but they were being discouraged, and so they were killing people for having this in their possession. And, And so then John Huss's dying words in 1415 were, in a hundred years, God will raise up a man who whose call for reform cannot be suppressed. And so a hundred years later, a monk named Martin Luther comes along. And because he was a monk in the Catholic Church, in fact, he was actually a a doctor of the Bible. Today we might call him a professor of biblical studies. He knew the word. He was able to study the Bible for himself, and he made the most incredible discovery for himself. Because really he had been taught by the church that the righteousness of God was God's standard by which he judged unrighteous sinners. But as he studied the Bible, and especially the book of Romans, 
he saw that the righteousness of God was a gift that God gave to those who trusted Jesus. And so we have his writings about this incredible life change that he experienced. And and it's a little bit lengthy, but this morning I want to read this to you uh, of in the midst of his struggles uh, of reading the word, because in the midst of it, there's still an an anxious submission. Okay. And so I want to read to you Martin Luther's struggle to then finding new life in Christ. He says this, "I, I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary passion for understanding Paul in the letter to the Romans. But there was one word in chapter one that stood in my way, that it says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. I hated that word, righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all the teachers, I had, I had been taught to be the active righteousness with, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. And though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners, and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if it is not enough that miserable sinners are crushed by the Ten Commandments. Here God adds pain to pain by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importantly upon Paul at that place, most passionately desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Namely, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely, by faith. And this is the meaning The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. So here you you have this man wrestling with the word. Even in his honesty, hating, hating the text for what it said and struggling in the midst of that, there, there's almost this anxious submission. And so here we, we see the conversion of Martin Luther and what really kind of sparked the beginning of the Reformation for him. But, but let me just remind you, where, how did it come about? How does, he, how does his conversion come about? It's, it, it's not in a big amphitheater with, with Big Preacher. It's not an altar call. It's the Bible. It's his time where he's wrestling, leaning into a text he doesn't agree with, leaning into a text he doesn't understand. It's the Bible. He, he looks at the verses in context. He compares scripture with scripture. He meditated on the word. He said day and night, and he persisted until he gained understanding. Think of how different that is. 
He persisted until he gained understanding. Not, not that he persisted until he agreed and, and was fine with it and, and it worked for him. He persisted until he gained understanding of God's true intent of the word. And so when he got this understanding, he saw Christ alone. He saw grace alone and he saw faith alone. And through this, he was born again. As he says, as he had entered paradise itself through open gates. And this is where Paul's words in Romans 10, verse 17, become incredible. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So now, aimed with this new biblical understanding, Luther started writing book after book, pointing people back to the scriptures. Because remember, you have this this division between the church and the Reformation, and so the church was extremely threatened, and Luther was, was brought in front of Emperor Charles V and commanded to, pay, to take back all of his writings and to recant. And Luther famously responded this way. He says, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by plain reason, for I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves. I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. So then standing after this, which with the plan to, to kill Luther, Luther escaped by help of friends where he was then hidden away in a castle. But, but Luther's not sitting around going, woe is me, people want to kill me. No, no, no. During this time of hiding, Luther translates the Bible into common German so that everyone could make the same discovery that he made. That scripture leads us to Christ. And when scripture is unleashed, the power of Christ is felt. So let me, let me ask you that question again. Do we really know what we have in our hands? Do you really understand what the word of God is to the believer? This has the power to revolutionize, to revitalize your, your heart, your life, this church, this community, this nation, and through it, God reveals our, our salvation. That really all scripture is breathed out by God. The word of God is carried along on the breath of God. And that becomes even more significant when you realize that the word for, for breath and the word for spirit are the same word in Greek. That all scripture is God-spirited. That the word of God is carried along by the spirit of God. So this book we're talking about, the Bible above all things, is the Holy Spirit's biography of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit's biography of Jesus. In fact, that's probably the most fundamental truth to learn about the Bible, that everything we need for the Christian life is in Jesus, and the Bible points us to Jesus. And so even in our, in our text, this is what Paul reminds Timothy of in verse 15. He says, you have been a you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So scripture alone points us to Christ alone. This is so important because without God's word, we're really lost in a sea of subjectivity. 
that really back in Luther's day, there was, a, there was this power struggle between the church and its leaders and the word of God. And really today, this, this really continues, but the difference here is that you had one church and you had one reformation. When you said, we're going to church, you were talking about the Catholic church back then. But through the reformation, there were, there were many through that. So back then, as we, as we look at one church and one reformation, there wasn't division yet. So, so back then, there was a different voice than, than God and, and through Holy Scripture that was weighing in. It was, the, it was the church wrongly, wrongly weighing in. So the church said, you are saved by grace plus human effort, where the Bible says it is through grace alone without any human effort. The church w- said, you are saved through faith and works, but the Bible says that you are saved through faith alone and not by any of your works. And the church said that you are saved by Christ plus your local priest. But the Bible says that it's Christ alone that saves us and that he alone is our priest. And so sola scriptura that we're looking at this morning it is that ultimately the Bible is the final authority in all matters of belief and practice. So really, sola scriptura is the the final and ultimate authority, but it doesn't deny that there are other authorities. In fact, the Bible establishes other authorities. When we see that in the the word rightly, it helps us establish other authorities. So authority in the family, authority in government, and authority in church. This is the, the posture that we would take through scripture alone. That we're not above it, we're beneath it. That all other authority is under the scripture. So parents, you are an authority in your home, but the authority over you is the Bible. The authority for your parenting is the Bible. And and often we go to that verse, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But let me me ask you a question then, parents. How are you going to use this verse to train up your child in this if you're not immersing yourself in these scriptures? How do you expect, because I promise you, 60 minutes on a Sunday morning ain't gonna cut it. In fact, let me just give you a a little uh, side note. It's not our job to train up your child in the way they should go. We are a part of that process. You are the authority in that home, but you are to be under the authority of scripture. And so also leaders of all kinds, you may carry authority in your job. You may carry authority in a, in a place of ministry, in a place of work. You're an authority in all these different areas, possibly, but only in, in, in as so much as you are yielding to Scripture. This is why Paul told the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Who does the church see as their, their, their physical leader that God's given them? Paul. But, but Paul says, you, only, you can only imitate me as I am Christ. So that clearly says the ultimate authority is God through his word. And so Paul is not telling the church to fall under his own authority. He's pointing them to Christ. And so let me be clear on something. The Bible doesn't save you. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves you. But it's important for us to remember where. Where do we find the gospel? How do we know the gospel? It's through his word. And so in the last two verses of our text, 
Paul really outlines what Scripture looks like in the believer's life. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so really, God's word is our guideline for living. That here in the word, through these two verses, Paul points us to living a godly life in Christ Jesus. That it's the word of God that is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training. And so think of it this way, that the, the word is like a map. The word of God is like a map, and it shows us the path that we need to be on. And the path leads us to Christ. The path that the word leads us to is Christ. And, and so as we look at those instructions from Paul, we see that it's all about the correction of the path that leads us to Christ. That, that in teaching, it, it's, it's communicating this is the path. In reproof, it's you are on the wrong path. Reproof is also known as rebuke, correcting an error, saying that you're, you're not going in the right direction, and then correcting that this is how you get back on the path. And then also training, communicating this is how you stay on the path. So let me ask you a question that I'm gonna ask you to, to go away with and leave here this morning with. Are you submitted beneath the word of God? Are you submitted beneath the word of God? See, I, I believe the Bible is the word of God. That's why the Bible is such a, a, such a high point here, that we believe it is the Spirit's testimony of the Son. I believe that with all my heart. That's why we do everything that we do the way we do it that we've decided that the Bible is the word of God and we're going to stand beneath it in submission. And really that position is intentional because to stand beneath the word means we are submitted fully to a word, to, to the word. So even there have been times where there is a text that I am preparing to teach that I'll be honest with you, I don't want to teach. There have been texts that I go to that we will go through a series and it would be so much easier to achieve to, to teach chapter one and three through through seven. But, but chapter two is important. And so being submitted beneath it means I don't wield it for my own pleasure. And, and I think there's many claims to be submitted to the word, but really it's where a person is leveraging it or, or standing above it for their own gain. The word of God is not a book for us to use like a fairy tale or a, or a history novel. It's both living and active. Even, even scripture says this in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, here, here's why scripture is such a big deal to me. When, when I first became a pastor years ago and growing and spending time in, in the Word, I was drinking it in like drinking through a fire hose. And I was challenged by the Holy Spirit to really read my Bible, not for teaching from a pulpit setting, but for training, that I would, that I would know the correct path to Christ. And so I chose to then study a book of the Bible, not for sermon prep, but for training and growing in my walk with God. And I remember reading through Galatians, the first book 
that, that I felt God was leading me to. And then I got to verse 9 and 10 in chapter 1 and seeing the submission of Paul towards Jesus and the scriptures alone, where he says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary, contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, a servant of Christ stands under the word, in submission. That text and those two verses have led me to every sermon I have ever preached in the pastorate. Because I'm not seeking your approval. I don't want your approval. I want to be a servant of Christ. And for us together, I want us to stand under the submission of the word. Not, not wielding it carelessly, but intentionally being submitted underneath it. And so I, I take very seriously what, as we talk this morning, in the time that I prepare and, and unpacking the word, I don't, I don't want to use a couple texts here and there to, to tell you how I feel this morning but for us to really be guided by the word. And so one of the things that uh, God has been using in that is I've really been praying through uh, investing in some young men to learn preaching it, that God has called to preach. And so this last week I started some pastoral training um, where we've been meeting once a week, learning to preach and to pastor. And so actually, humorously enough, neither one of them is there this, here this morning, but the whole point is we're going to do everything from learn to preach to learn to clean toilets and pray for our people because that's what the pastorate is. And so when, when I get up here, this is not, here's what you need to do. It's what we need to do, being submission underneath the word. And so we're, we're together going through this book called Expositional Preaching because one of the ways that I, uh, not one of the ways, the way that I preach is, is called expository, where what we would do is we would take scripture and we're not going to take scripture and, and yield it to our context, but really hold firm to the truth of what's being communicated in the scriptures. See how uncomfortable that makes it when you just want to do your own thing. But really, as we have been going through it, there's the first week is all the methods in which we as men preach the word and not in a healthy way. And so this writer begins to unpack these different methods. And one of the examples that he gives in this beautiful illustration is of a light post. That the word of God is like a lamppost, a light post, and you can either lean on it like a drunk or you can stand under it for illumination. You can either lean on it like a drunk or you can stand under it for illumination. And so really, that, that question becomes important for us this morning. Are we submitted beneath the word of God. Do you see how intentional that posture is? That we would be submitted that it would illuminate everything we step into. It would illuminate where we maybe need to not step into. That it would light the path that leads us to Jesus. So I encourage you to ask yourself that. Are you submitted beneath the word of God? Let's pray.